Our scripture reading for this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 1 through 30. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 30. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, weary as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty. Again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. This is God's word for us this morning. Would you pray with me? God, even as we have sung these words, as we have read these words, uh, would you show us Jesus? As we open up your word, as we uh, consider the things that you have and, and where our hearts are this morning, God, if, if we're here and our hearts are heavy, we're here and our hearts are questioning, would you invite us into this living water uh, that Jesus is offering us. So would you be glorified in things that we, uh, we say and do here in this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's really great to be with you this morning. My name is John. I'm the pastor here at Wingfoot Church. And uh, if you are new here or uh, you're just kind of like curious and checking it out, uh, I want you to know you are why we started this church. We, we started this church only just a couple weeks ago. Uh, because we want to invite you to find hope. 
Uh, the reason why our church exists is to renew hope in the heights in Jesus' name. That is our heartbeat. That is what we are all about. And that means wherever you're coming from, uh, but particularly if you're wondering if there's something more, if you're wondering if there's something more to life out there, uh, we want to invite you to find hope. And, and the hope that we have is not uh, some vague idea or ideology or a pol- political party. The hope that we have is in a person, and that person is Jesus. And uh, so everything that we do here as a church is wrapped up around him. We sing about Jesus. We open up the teachings of Jesus. We talk about what it means to live out these teachings as we follow him. And so if you're here and you've got a lot of questions, you're just wondering if there's something more, uh, we're so excited that you're here with us this morning. And that is what we are going to do together. Uh, I, I am old enough or young enough, depending on which generation you belong to, uh, to remember when the first iPhone came out. All right, I, I was in late high school, and uh, up until that point, we all had kind of janky flip phones. You remember the old, old flip phones that would break or crack or, or do all that weird stuff if you weren't careful with them? You could text, you could call, and you could send blurry pictures. That was about what you could do with those flip phones. And then that day came where Steve Jobs walked out onto that stage holding this black brick. And he showed us how this black brick was going to revolutionize the world. It was going to change your life. That's what they promised, that, that this device that now would be in all of our pockets everywhere, that this device was going to satisfy all of our needs. And so now if I got lost, I could just pull up an app on the iPhone. Now if I wanted to order food, I could pull up an app on the iPhone. If I wanted to, to connect with somebody around the world, I could pull up a messenger app on the iPhone. This iPhone was going to satisfy every need that you could ever have. You might remember that first time you saw that. And I saw that, and I looked at my janky flip phone, and I was like, I don't want this anymore. I want that. And so I started saving my money, because I, I couldn't afford that, right? Who could afford that when that first came out? So I started saving my money. I saved it all up, and finally the time came where I, I could buy an iPhone. I ordered it online. I remember there was two-day shipping, and that seemed like an eternity, right? Because what was coming to me was satisfaction, was happiness, was fulfillment and contentment in that little box. And so it finally got there. I wasn't home at the time. I left what I was doing to go home to get it, to open it, and unbox it. And it changed my life for three whole weeks. Because right? I opened it up, I downloaded all the apps, and, and I was connected, and I was taking pictures, and I was, I was ordering food. I was doing all these things that you could do with the iPhone that I had never done before. And I carried that thing with me everywhere. It was on my nightstand when I went to bed. It was on my nightstand when I woke up again. It was in my pocket wherever I went. I was, I was messing with it in class, right? I was getting in trouble for that. It was all that I needed was that iPhone. And then three weeks went by, and I dropped it. Right, maybe you've been there before. Now, I was lucky. I wasn't like the guys who dropped it, and it just, like, shattered. But I dropped it, and it put a pretty significant scratch in it. And that was like the beginning of a process of this miraculous device slowly becoming less miraculous to me because I scratched it. And then the battery slowly started not being as effective. And then it slowly started to slow down, and it wasn't as fast as it once was. And, and pretty soon it just became like an everyday thing for me until that day that Steve Jobs walked out onto that stage again and said, here's the next iPhone. And I looked at the iPhone that I had, and I said, I don't want this. I want that. You see, this thing that promised me satisfaction, it, it, it didn't satisfy what I really needed. Right? And I think we've all been there. 
where we have this, this thing in our life that we think is going to satisfy us, bring us happiness and contentment, and we get it, and for a little while it does, but then it slowly starts to wear off. This morning I want to talk about this question, what does it take to be truly satisfied in life? What does it take to be truly satisfied? And by, by satisfied, this is kind of what I mean. It's, it's deeper than happiness. Right? Happiness is kind of like, you can be happy for a moment, but really deep inside you're miserable. You can smile, but really deep inside you're hurting. But to be satisfied is to be content. It's this deep fulfillment, this deep sense of rest. that I don't need anything, that everything that I have is provided for me. What does it take to be satisfied? You know, I think most of us live life wanting to be satisfied and yet realizing that we're just always dissatisfied, that nothing truly satisfies us. And the reason why I know this is, is not just from talking to people and being a human myself, but, but listening to music. You might be of the generation that remembers the Rolling Stones. Right, you remember that song, Can't Get No Satisfaction. Right, it really made the Rolling Stones. And, and in that song, Mick Jagger is singing about how he's in his car and he's listening to commercials and, and he knows that they're not going to satisfy him. And he sings about how, how there's women in his life and he knows that they're not going to satisfy him. And the whole point of the song is everywhere that he's looking, things are promising to satisfy him and yet he says, I can't get no satisfaction. Or maybe you're of the generation that has been caught up in the Hamilton craze. Right, Hamilton is this Broadway musical. It took Broadway by storm. It's now on Disney+. Plus. My wife and I watched it the first weekend that it was out. And, uh, and in that story, what you find is this character, Alexander Hamilton. Really, the story of his life is about how he's never satisfied. In fact, in the middle of that story, there's, there's a song called Satisfied that, that's sung by this love interest of his. And, and she sings this song. She, she realizes that when she and Hamilton first met, there was this spark. And what they saw in each other was two people that would never be satisfied. And she sings this song about how, how she has to live her life in a certain kind of way, and yet she never finds true satisfaction. And the end of the song says, he will never be satisfied, and I will never be satisfied. And that really becomes the downfall of Alexander Hamilton in that story, is that he always wants more. He's never satisfied. You see, this is true of us. We long to experience fulfillment, contentment, satisfaction, yet the things in this world that promise us that prove to be dissatisfying. And that's what's true of this woman here that Jesus meets at the well, is that she is longing to be satisfied. She is longing for fulfillment and contentment, and yet she can't find it anywhere. And what Jesus invites her into is a transforming kind of thing, a way to be truly, deeply satisfied. You know, the story introduces us to this woman, and we learn a couple of things right off the bat. The first we learn is that she's a Samaritan. Now, Samaritans and Jews, they were two different ethnic groups, and they didn't get along. There was a lot of conflict there, and in fact, the story tells us this a couple times, that she's shocked that Jesus is talking to her, one, because she's a woman, but also because he's, she's a Samaritan. And it's super scandalous. This, this wouldn't happen. And so Jesus, he goes into this town, this outcast town, and then he meets her. But the other thing we learn about her is she's at the well at noon. Right? You may be wondering, what's the sixth hour? Right? What, what does that mean? My watch doesn't tell me what the sixth hour is. The sixth hour is noon. And that would have been the hottest part of the day. You see, in that day, you didn't have indoor plumbing. Right? So you had to go to the well. It would be in the center of town. And so everyone would go in the morning before it got really hot or in the evening after the sun went down. So she's here at the hottest part of the day, which tells us something. 
tells us that she's trying to avoid people. She's an outcast in this outcast group. And so she's at the well, the hottest part of the day. Jesus is weary. He stops at the well, and he initiates a conversation with her. He says, give me a drink. And she's like, whoa, why are you talking to me? And then Jesus, he says, if you knew who you were talking to, if you knew the gift that I was offering you, you would ask me for living water. And he says, whoever drinks of this living water will never thirst again. She's like, I want that. I'm sick of coming to this well. I'm sick of avoiding people at this well. And then Jesus says, go call your husband. And she's like, well, I don't have a husband, which is true. But Jesus knows her, right? He knows her, and he says, this is, this is true. What you've said is true, but in fact, you've had five husbands, and the person that you're with right now is not your husband. Now, what is Jesus doing there? Now, this is the question I've been asking in my head all, all this week as I prepare for this, is what is Jesus doing there when he draws out that fact about her life? See, here's what I realized. In that day, if you're a woman, you didn't have any grounds for divorce. You didn't have any rights. You, divorce was up to your husband, right? Which means that for this woman, one of two things has happened to her five times. She has either been rejected by her husband, five, five different husbands, or she has lost her husband to death five times. You see, she has been going to a well, and that well has left her dissatisfied. But that well isn't the, the well that she's sitting at with water at the bottom of the pool. The well that she has been going to is the well of relationships. See, she continues to go to these men and say, maybe this man, this man will finally satisfy me. And what she has found over and over and over again is that no matter how much she gives to them, they leave her dissatisfied. She's either rejected or she's left alone in grief. And so what Jesus is doing there, he's not shaming her. And she already knows the shame. She already knows the scandal. She already knows the controversy. That's why she's avoiding it. What Jesus is doing is he's pressing into this painful place that she has experienced, this place of rejection and dissatisfaction. You see, you have a well in your life. You see, a well is, is anything, it's someone or something that you go to to find satisfaction. Someone or something that you go to to think, if I just get more of this, if I just get a little bit more of this, then I'll finally truly be happy. You see, this longing that we have, we look to satisfy it in the things and the people that are around us. Maybe for you, your well is relationships. Just like her, you think, man, if I could just find Mr. Right, if I could just find Miss Right, then I would finally truly be satisfied. And your life, your whole, your whole life is wrapped around, can I find this right person? And you're looking and saying, man, could I get that? If I found that right person, then I'll finally truly be satisfied. Some of you, you maybe felt that, and then you found Mr. Right or Miss Right, and you said, I do, but here's, spoiler alert for all those who are single, you marry an imperfect person. And then when you get into that marriage, you start to realize all the things that I, I thought this person was going to do for me, man, marriage is hard. I'm not always satisfied. There's this deep longing in my heart that, that this imperfect person that I've married, there's this deep sense that maybe there's something more. And so maybe in that relationship you say, hey, let's have kids. Right? Kids will satisfy me. Kids will give me love. Kids, kids will give me a sense of purpose. But what maybe you're finding is that people, relationships, can never satisfy you in the deepest way that you need. 
And in fact, when we try to satisfy this deep longing that we have in relationships, in other people, in kids, is that it actually is pretty toxic. And some of you might say, hey, I'm a kid of a marriage like that. And I can tell you how painful that is. You might go to the well of relationships. And here's the thing, even if you, if you say family is my well, if I'm going to pour all of my life into my family, if you live long enough, eventually you'll see your family pass away. Right? You, you, you can say, hey, I'm, I'm building my life on this, but eventually it will leave you. Or you might say, hey, my, my well is my job. Right? I find all kinds of, of fulfillment and purpose in my job. It gives me a sense of worth and value. It helps me put food on the table. It helps me save up for the boat that I have parked in my, in my driveway for the weekend. Right? Work is everything. And maybe what you found is the economy has been wobbly. Maybe you haven't lost a job, but you've watched friends lose jobs, and you're wondering, man, am I next? Or or even if you have a great job and you live for that job, eventually you're going to not be able to work for that job anymore. They're going to push you out. You're going to retire. You're not going to be able to find that same fulfillment. And some of you who have lost jobs, you know how hard that is on your sense of worth because it's a well that you keep going to. You see, we have these wells in our life, these people, these things that we think will truly satisfy us, and we keep going back to them thinking, man, I'll finally truly be satisfied by this. What happens is after a couple of times of feeling dissatisfied there, sometimes we settle for cheap wells, for for knockoff wells. That's what she's done. She's gone to, to, through five marriages, and they have left her in pain. And so now Jesus says, the person that you're with isn't your husband. She's settled for a cheap knockoff. This is why I think we're, we're so prone to addictive behaviors. It's because we, we don't feel satisfaction in our work or our family, and, and so we find a, a, a well that will ease our pain and ease our dissatisfaction. Right? So when, you, when your spouse doesn't satisfy you, maybe there's another well, another person at work that you think, hey, that might be a well that might satisfy me. Or this is pornography, really, is a well that offers a little bit of satisfaction, but ultimately it becomes this toxic thing. You see, when, when the wells that we think will satisfy us don't, we settle for cheap knockoffs. In the end, we experience pain and alienation and brokenness. And that's what she is feeling, and that's where Jesus meets her. You see, what Jesus offers her is this. He offers her himself. You see, nothing will satisfy you like Jesus. That is what he is saying. Nothing will satisfy you like Jesus. That deep longing that you feel, that deep longing that she is feeling, the reason why nothing will satisfy that is because you were made to know God and be known by God. That deep longing that you have in your heart, in your soul, in your body, when you're like, man, nothing is satisfying me, that's because you are made to be satisfied by God himself. This is why we see in the beginning of God's story, when God creates, he creates a universe where we can know him. And we see the very first humans, they live on earth and they know God personally. They walk with him, they talk with him, they know who he is. You were created to reflect who God is. That's how, how personal and intimate that relationship was supposed to be. You see, you were created to know God and be known by God. And now separated from him. We're just longing for that satisfaction, but nothing will satisfy us like the one we are created to be satisfied by. 
See, Psalm 42, it's a, it's a song about who God is and, and why our hearts long for him. Psalm 42 says, as the deer pants for the waters, so my soul longs for you, God. What he's saying is this, I have this desire, I was created with this desire, and the only place that that desire can be satisfied is in God himself. So meanwhile, we're just going to these wells saying, will this finally satisfy me? But what Jesus says is nothing will satisfy you like knowing him. See, there was an early Christian, his name was Augustine, he, he was from Africa, and, and he has this story that he tells. He wrote all of his life story in this, uh, this book called Confessions. And in his story, he lived this crazy, promiscuous life. Throughout his teenage life, he, he had all the drink that he wanted, he all, had all the women that he wanted, any desire that he had, he satisfied. And yet in his confessions, what he says is that nothing satisfied him. In fact, he wrote this famous line in there. He said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. See, the reason why you keep going to that well, the reason why you think someone or something will satisfy you is because you were created to be satisfied in God. And apart from him, you will find no true satisfaction. You know, one of the beautiful things about who God is, if you read through the story of the Bible, is, is Christians have, have understood that God is triune. Now, don't let that word trip you up. All right? This is an important word, but, but what that means is Christians understand that God is one, and yet there are three persons in God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's kind of this, this mystery of who God is. But what that means is this, is that, is that when God created, when he put us here, he didn't do it because he was lonely. Because God existed in this perfect community of love. So he didn't, he didn't create because he was lonely. He didn't create because he was bored. He didn't create because he was just kind of tinkering and experimenting. He created because he wanted to share love. He wanted to share his love with you. And so he gives love because he is in his very nature, in his very core, love. And so when you are reconnected to God, when you know who he is and when you are known by him, you are connected to the very source, the foundation of love itself. You see, one of the awesome things about this, when Jesus talks about living water, so in all of the teachings of Jesus, he only mentions living water a couple times. And every time he mentions living water, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the third person of God. So what he's saying is when you receive the gift of God, when you, when you know I am, you receive God's personal presence known as the Holy Spirit. This is what happens when you are made new. We talked about last week this idea of being made new, of being born again, that, that God's personal presence comes and lives inside of you and walks alongside you and says, I will never leave you and never forsake you. You see, when you are made new, it's not just like a decision, then you kind of go on with the rest of your life. It's, it's a reconnection with the God who created you a personal connection with him through his Holy Spirit. This is the living water that Jesus wants to invite you into. Right? And the beautiful thing is, you know, a well is like, it's got hard walls, it's got a limited amount of water. When it runs out, it's done. But a, a living water, a spring of living water, is connected to some other source. And it overflows in your life, which means it will never run out. See, this is the, the satisfaction that God wants to bring you in Jesus. So how do you get this living water? How do you get this living water? If you, if you realize, aren't you feeling dissatisfied with the well? Aren't you feeling that, that this thing will never satisfy me? How do I get this true satisfaction in Jesus? 
So there's two realizations, two things you have to understand. The first is the reality of sin. The reality of sin. You see, if we understand that God is at his very core love, then when we say no to God, we're saying no to love. We're saying no to this God that we were made for, and and sin fundamentally turns us inward. It turns us inward. Love always looks outward. Sin looks inward. And it says, my plans are the most important things. My desires are the most important things. My agenda is the most important. My, my plan and my life is the most important thing. Sin turns us inward. And you can't love if you're turned inward. See, sin is fundamentally turning against the God that you were created to know, this God who is in his very core love. And now turned inward, we're going to these wells saying, will this satisfy me? Will this finally bring me peace? And yet we're all doing that. So we're all just kind of using and hurting each other all along the way. This is why sin and brokenness is all over. The second reality you have to understand is the reality of grace. That sin turns me inward. Sin, sin causes me to focus on my life and my desires and my plans and the things that I want. And yet God in his grace continues to love you and chase you down. That's what he's doing in Jesus. See, Jesus meets this woman at the well of her dissatisfaction. He meets her in the place where she is broken and hurting. And that is, the, that is what God does for you. Is that God meets you in your place of dissatisfaction and he invites you into living water into a reconnected, reconciled relationship with him where you are, are known and, and you can be known by the God who created you. And you see, I think it's no accident that when Jesus is on the cross, right, his ultimate display of grace is him on the cross when his arms are stretched wide like in an embrace. Right? This is how much God loves you. This is how much he wants you to be reconnected to his love is that he would give his very life so that you could know who he is. And then the beautiful thing is that Jesus, he doesn't stay dead. He comes back to life, which means that when we know him, we could never lose his love because of death. And death is really the thing that keeps us from experiencing true satisfaction. And the reality of grace is that God continues to love you even when you're turned inward. Even when you're saying, my plans and my agenda and my things are the most important. God loves and continues to love until you find who he is. See, fundamentally, this is what it means to be a Christian. It's to turn away from your sin, to turn away from those wells and say, I've found true satisfaction. I've found true love in Jesus. And to start to experience this transformation of living water as you walk with him. So if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, do you see that the well that you're going to is ultimately going to leave you dissatisfied? It's ultimately going to abandon you. It's ultimately going to alienate you. It's ultimately going to hurt you. But no matter how hard you try, no matter how much you keep coming back to it, at some point you will lose it. And what Jesus is offering you is a life with him, of knowing and being known by the God who is love. And he is the way to know that love. You see, the beautiful thing about what happens in this story, right? At the end of the story, this woman, she goes into the very town that she has been avoiding. And she says, come see the man who told me all I ever did. Now, why would you tell people that? Right? Why would you go into a town that you've been avoiding, of people who, who have shamed you, people who have gossiped about you? Why would you go into a town and say, hey, I found a guy, he knows all of my dirty laundry, now ask him questions. Why would you do that? 
You see the transformation in her life as she has been tapped into this living water. She's experienced the grace of Jesus is now she can give and love freely because her satisfaction is not in the opinion of people. Her, her fulfillment is not in their response to them. Her, her purpose in life is not wrapped up in who they are. She's now satisfied by the love of Jesus. You see, as long as you are looking to be satisfied in someone or something, you're always looking to get something from them, which means that you'll never be able to truly love them. You'll never be able to truly give to them because you always need something from them. And in the most toxic examples of this is what we call codependency. Right, where I need you, I need something in you, and you need something in me. And so we're in kind of this, this toxic, awkward relationship where, where I need your approval, or I need your love, or I need your, your opinion of me. But you see, when you are tapped into the source of love, when you love God first, when Jesus' grace overwhelms you, then you can li- love and give freely. Because everything that you need is yours in Jesus. And so you can go tell people, come see the man who told me all I ever did because their opinion doesn't matter as much to you anymore. You can love your family well because you're tapping to the love that God has for you. And so if things go bad, if things get awkward, that's not everything to you. God is now everything to you. And you can work your job well because you know whether or not you keep your job or lose your job, whether or not it gives you the satisfaction that you need or not, you're tapped into the love that you were created to know. See, only as you know the love of God will be, you'll be able to love freely and love in a healthy kind of way. You can love without needing anything in return. This is why John, the guy who wrote this story, would later say in one of his other letters, we love because God first loved us. That as we know the love of God and as God's love comes first in our life, then we are free to love people well. And can you imagine if we were a church of people like this? A church of people who are so overwhelmed by the love of Jesus that we would leave this place on Sunday morning and we would go into our neighborhood, go to our our block or go to our, our friend group and say, come see this man who told me all I ever did. Come hear all of my dirty laundry. Come hear all of the things that have been going on in my life. I mean, that's why we tell our stories as a church. Because we know that as we tell our stories, what we are inviting people into, what we are inviting people to see is that God's love is all we need. And we have that love because of Jesus. And the beautiful thing about that is as she goes into that town, people are interested. Right? They, they come to Jesus and at the end of the story. What you actually see is people saying this. They say, we now know that this is Jesus, that this is the one that we've longed for. Not because you said it, because we've experienced it ourselves. See, this is what happens when we are tapped into the love of Jesus is that we tell people about it. It overflows out of our life. And as we share our stories and as we invite people to be satisfied by Jesus, as we are satisfied by Jesus, people start to hear and they start to find out for themselves. They feel the dissatisfaction of the well and they see the joy and the peace and the satisfaction that Jesus offers. And they start to say, I want to know that for myself. So if you're here this morning, you feel the dissatisfaction. Jesus is offering you love. Love not based on your performance, but based on his gift to you. And as followers of Jesus, may we be overwhelmed 
by the love of Jesus, such that it spills out into our lives, into our conversations, into the places that we live, work, and play, because Jesus is satisfying us, and we can't contain it. This is how we're satisfied by Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, you were not content to leave us in our sin, not content to leave us in our dissatisfaction, but you meet us at that well. You meet us at the place where we are most discontent, most dissatisfied, and you invite us to experience living water. So God, for the one who's here this morning, who they're, they're starting to realize that the well they keep going back to is not cutting it. Maybe they've settled for cheap alternatives. Would you overwhelm them with the love of Jesus? Would you invite them to be satisfied in you, God? As, as we look at our sin and we see, we see how it's just leaving us dissatisfied, and then we see your grace as Jesus is on the cross there for us, would we be overwhelmed by that? God, will we be satisfied by you to know that no matter what life throws at us, no matter uh, what goes on in our life, that as you are the source of our love, as you are the source of our life, that we have everything we need, that our hearts could truly rest because they found our rest in you. And Jesus, would you satisfy us with your love to know that everything is taken care of because of what you've done for us on the cross. And it's in Jesus' strong name that we pray these things. Amen.